Hi, I'm Jennifer McClure, CEO of Unbridled Talent and Chief Excitement Officer of Disrupt HR, and you're listening to Relationships and Revenue with John Hewlin. This is Relationships and Revenue, the show where real answers come from real discussions about what holds men back in their relationships at home and in business. A better bottom line at work means improving life at home. This show is all about helping you become a better entrepreneur and a better man. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue podcast. I am your host, John Hewlin. So glad you decided to spend a little bit of your hard-earned time with me today. And as you heard from the introduction, I have Jennifer McClure with me today. Jennifer, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Bet. You bet. And as you heard, she mentioned that she is the CEO of Unbridled Talent, but she used a different definition of CEO for Disrupt HR. Now, give that to us again, Jennifer. Chief Excitement Officer. Chief Excitement Officer. Now, that is not the very first thing that comes to mind when I hear the next two letters, H and R, together. Mm Mm-hmm. Typically don't think of excitement, so we're definitely going to dig into that and just figure out why you call yourself that. Okay. So as you might imagine, I also think of Jennifer as an HR guru. She's not saying that about her. I'm saying that about her. And in addition to that, she is a lover of all things horses. And the greatest title she holds that I'm aware of is mom. Well, we'd have to ask my son about that if he if he'd be willing to give me the honorific. But <laughs> he's thirty now; he's matured. Maybe, maybe if you'd asked maybe. him ten years ago, that might have been in doubt. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's dig a little bit into your backstory, Jennifer. I want to know kind of how you got your start and what led you to where you are today. Yeah, I think like most people, it's uh, been a windy path. Uh, maybe a little less so than some people's and a lot more than others. But um, when I was in college back in the day, you know, before before we, we rode on stone tablets and rode around in carts behind oxen. Um, <laughs> but about my, I think it was my junior year when I was just in a business kind of program, didn't really have any designs on anything. Um my advisor sat me down and said, it's time for you to choose a major. And I said, okay. And I still to this day don't really know why. I said, how about personnel? Well, I do know why in the sense of the reason why I wanted to be that, but I'd never met a personnel manager, I don't think. I'd worked in a country grocery store where I was hired by the store manager, so I hadn't really even been exposed to personnel or HR. But I felt like I say in some of my my keynotes that I was a millennial before millennials were a thing. Um, I wanted to make the most impact I could and have the most influence over the most people right away. (laughs) So I didn't figure anybody was going to hire me as CEO and I wasn't ready to start my own business. So I thought where in the organization is someone who has access to the most people and the most opportunity for impact. And so I came up with personnel. And again, that's the piece I'd like to go back and explore. Where did that kind of come from in terms of that job? But here I am 30 plus years later, and I think it was a brilliant decision. (laughs) (laughs) My my college didn't offer a degree in personnel at the time. They had one course and it was industrial relations. So I did take that. I ended up just getting a general business degree, but um, joined the, at the time it was called American Society for Personnel Administrators, ASPA was what SHRM was before it was SHRM. Uh, won a scholarship 
uh, as part of that is I think it was the most potential or something. And so yeah. came right out like a lot of college grads and then nobody would hire me because they're like, you've never worked in personnel. We won't <laughs> hire you. Um, <laughs> so I had a starter job as a bank auditor, which if you on a scale of like most appropriate jobs for me would be like on the zero scale. <laughs> wow. But that was the only job I, I moved. I got married two weeks or a month after I graduated and moved to Southwest Georgia. And it was at the time the highest unemployment in the state. And so that was all I could scrounge up. And as part of that job, a very teeny, teeny, tiny piece of that job, we would like, it was the surprise audit kind of thing. You'd like roll up at 730 in the morning to a regional bank and walk in and ever, ruin everybody's day. <laughs> There's nothing like being a bank auditor where you walk in and everybody's like, oh, no, because um, right away you got to count all the cash. You got to do this. And one, one, like said, teeny tiny piece on the audit checklist was auditing the personnel files that were in oh. the branch or the main office. And I always volunteered for that. So uh, when a friend of mine in, in my Sunday school class at church announced that she was going to be leaving her job because she was uh, going to take time off to have a baby. And she was a, a shipping and receiving manager in a manufacturing, small manufacturing plant. And they had decided they needed, and they'd reached enough employees that they needed a personnel manager, still personnel. So she took on the job of personnel manager in addition to her shipping and receiving manager job. And I was like, that's perfect because I wanted to be deep in the operations of an organization and understand that um, and also have the opportunity to HR. And so talked my way into that job. <laughs> I, I told a coaching client of mine once I was telling that story and I said, I saw the resumes of the people that they interviewed along with me and they were all like much more experienced, had worked in HR. All I talked about was the fact that I'd audited personnel files. <laughs> I said, I still can't believe they hired me. I must have been really impressive in the interview. And he said, or you were the cheapest. And I said, not the right answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that could be too. <laughs> but my first real job in HR started, I was the personnel manager slash shipping and receiving manager, and I had never been in a manufacturing plant in my life. Um, so it was just a wonderful wonderful roller coaster ride, like I said earlier, of talking my way into something. I wasn't really sure what it was about, but that was a great opportunity because it was establishing a personnel department. We doubled in size when I was there, mm. still a small company, but I also had seven people mm. reporting to me um, in a function that I knew nothing about. So thankfully they, they engaged me and enabled me and helped me to learn Mm. Both the the shipping and receiving aspects of it, but also uh, how to lead people when you you aren't an expert at all in what they do. It's about leadership, and so that was the start. And then there were a few more jobs along the way. Ended up last role as a VP of HR um, in a the largest playing card manufacturer in the world here in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then took a stint in executive search. Um, and then in 2010, actually my 12-year business anniversary was last weekend. Um, 12 years where I started my own company as a professional speaker, do some training, a little bit of executive coaching. Um, but I love to be out talking with leaders about how they can make the most impact in their world. Mm, love that. And so I'm trying to figure out, and, and help me understand here a little bit, how do you go from having that deep desire to have the impact and beginning to have that in the realm of personnel slash HR, and then 
transition into the world of speaking, I'm trying to see how that happened. Yeah, the path, I think, is, again, not intentional, but it makes sense looking back on it. Um, remember, I wanted to have the most influence and impact on people right. that I could be. So I felt like, you know, HR, everybody in the organization doesn't report to them. You know, at one point I was in HR department one, but I have a say in something related to everyone in the organization, whether mm -hmm. it's with benefits or, you know, employee relations, all the things. Um, and about 10 years into my HR career, I changed to a different employer, a large uh, Japanese automotive manufacturing plant. Mm. And one, I did all the training. You know, I just, mm. it was always assumed, I guess, that HR would do training. So I, I did training on like Kanban and Toyota production system, things I get I knew nothing about. They gave me videotapes and they said, learn these and then teach everybody. <laughs> really? See, I, I, I don't see, my first thought is that training goes with HR. Well, I, we've evolved, I think, as, as business, not, that's not the way. But back then it was like, if it's training, then HR does that. And Jennifer, okay. that's you. So uh, I did a lot of training on things that I was by no means an expert in and, and learned some lessons along the way about that, that uh, you know, maybe <laughs> talk about another time. But about 10 years into my career, like I said, I was you know, doing all the training, the annual training, sexual harassment training, everything, you know, oh, yeah. and one of the trainings that we did every year, again, Japanese automotive manufacturer was union avoidance training, because it was very important to our ownership that uh, we do the right things to maintain a union free environment. Yeah. And that was the worst, um, you know, sexual harassment training was with, you know, the, the flip charts and the transparency slides back then was it was like, here's the 10 slides I showed you last year and just don't do that. One year I lost my voice. Uh, I had, I was so like, I had no voice and there was like 300 people in the training room, including the president. And I was up there trying to give the annual sexual harassment training with no voice. And he got so frustrated. He stood up and he said, don't do it or I'll fire your ass. And he sat down I was like, check annual training time. <laughs> you should do this every year, sir. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the annual union avoidance training was due and I was like, I'm so sick of this training. It's the worst. Nobody wants to, to do it or be there. And so I, I engaged a consultant that we worked with on our employee opinion surveys and some other things. And I said, do you do union avoidance training? He goes, oh yeah. And so he came in and he had been the VP of industrial relationship re relations at General Motors mm. for 47 years and then retired and he was in his 70s um, and started this consulting firm. So he gave the training and he told stories and people were engaged and they were loving it and they were laughing and, you know, they walk out of the room and they're like, that's the best union voters training ever. And I was like, oh, I sat in the back row and I said, I want to do what he's doing. You know, that that looks like, you know, that kind of just spoke to my soul, I guess, in that that he was able to teach people and uh, engage them in a way that they learned and they enjoyed it. But then I kind of walked away and I said, well, he had a lot of great stories. And, you know, like every HR person, I wish I'd written down a lot of the stories and things that, um, you know, I, I encountered along the way. But I, I told myself at the time, I said, I don't have enough experience yet to do what he's doing because I don't have enough great stories. And so in my mind, I just kind of like pinned 20 years after 20 years, I'll have good stories. And maybe then I can, can think about, you know, training or I didn't know really what's kind of like when I said I wanted to be a personnel and I didn't really know what that was. I didn't really know what being a speaker was. And then I, I sure I promptly forgot about that. About 18 and a half years uh, into my corporate HR career, we sold the company and um, 
as said, kind of moved into a different direction in executive search. And as part of that new role, which if you know, you're familiar with any kind of recruiting operation, they're working for the client, not, not uh, the candidates. And we were retained search and it was 100% commission, you know, so mm-hmm. I wasn't getting paid a salary. I had to, you know, go out and hunt it and, and bring it home in order to eat it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But in my transition period between being in the corporate world and, and deciding to go into executive search, I had done, I'd engaged a coach and part of his process was to go out and really, you know, network, I guess they call it like informational networking, but, you know, meeting with people and really kind of talking with them, not looking for a job in the sense, but more exploring what options were available to me, which is how I ended up in executive search. People kept telling me that that would be a good next step. Mm-hmm. Um and I had heard a gentleman at one of the executive uh, networking meetings I'd been to who was a CEO of a financial services firm. And he stood up and told a little bit about his career transition journey. And he said so many people were really helpful to him, gave him a lot of great advice during that time that he had made a decision that when he became employed, he would give away 10% of his time to help others, kind of a tithe, you know, back oh. to relationships. And that stuck with me. So when I started an executive search, I said I was going to give away 10% of my time to senior level executives in career search. You know, so again, if you're familiar with recruiters, that's not usually how it works. If you're not a good candidate for a job and we don't need to talk to you right now, but I would, you know, accept a phone call or, uh, you know, invite someone in for about four hours a week or so of my time. Um, And we could talk about your resume. We could talk about your interviewing strategy. Um, anything. And that was early 2006. And so to just add value during that time, a lot of times I shared my own personal kind of networking journey from massive introvert to really loving what I learned from people during that time frame. Um, but I also wish, you know, new to LinkedIn and I would turn my computer screen around and I'd say, you need to set up a LinkedIn profile and, you know, here's some of the basics and then connect with people. And back then it was really just connections. There wasn't a newsfeed or anything like that. It was to see who you knew that might know somebody else. And um, those executives then, either when they got employed or they'd go back to their networking organizations and they'd say, hey, Jennifer really helped me with, you know, relationship building, or she taught me how to use LinkedIn, or she understands this social media thing. Maybe we could use that for branding or recruiting. And so they started inviting me in to speak, um, mm-hmm. either to organizations or to their teams. And I did that for free for a while and then kind of said, well, this is taking me away from my day job. I'll charge $50. <laughs> gift certificate to Starbucks and I don't even drink coffee. So, um, right. right, I hear you. So then I realized it'd been about 20 years at that point in my career. And I was like, oh, this, I'm actually speaking. I didn't, didn't pursue that, you know, now as a path, but when I'm going in and talking to people and I'm seeing the impact that I'm having and they're sending me emails that saying, you know, what I shared with them was really helpful. Um, this is actually, yeah, I've, I've re-arrived, you know, <laughs> 10 years later at I want to be a speaker. And so that's kind of how it started. You know, it didn't, didn't really pursue HR, just kind of like made a snap decision to jump in that pond. And then with the speaking thing, kind of uh, put it out there, forgot about it and landed right back in the pool. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So you have these two different companies right now. Um, you know, the, the unbridled talent and the disrupt HR. Mm-hmm. So how are they similar? How are they different? What do you do with those two? Yep. Uh, I mean, obviously one is related to HR, but unbridled talent, that sounds like a recruiting 
firm, but it you might know, not be. I don't know. You know, there there are a lot of things we could all, if we had better wisdom, would do differently. <laughs> I literally didn't, you know, once I decided I was going to start my own business and the recruiting firm that I owner that I worked for was very, very supportive. So we were in conversation the whole time. I was like, I think I want to start my own business, but I don't know what to call it. And so it was probably a year, year and a half that I was like, what, what should I call my business? Which I would tell anybody today, just start. ABC company is fine. Get started. Don't wait for your name to come to you. But I was trying to be clever and I was like, my passions are people and horses. And so I even pulled out the dictionary and looked for anything related to horses. And um, one day I was having lunch with a friend and kind of just bemoaning that I had still not started my business because I couldn't think of a name. And she said, what about unbridled talent? And I like Googled, you know, went to GoDaddy and the URL is available. I'm like, that's it. <laughs> you know, once unbridled talent became a thing, there's a ton of problems with that. <laughs> One is nobody on the planet Earth uh, knows how to spell it, apparently. <laughs> and a lot of times they don't know how to say it. So Not that hard. <laughs> it would have been easier if I'd called it unbridled because that's what everybody wants to call it, which is not. Oh, my weird. gosh. <laughs> that's, well, that's that's a. uh a black eye to the educational system. I don't know. It's like you go you, phonics. I mean, come on. Any hotel or any place where they're like, what's your email address? You're like, Jennifer at unbridledtalent.com. They're like, unbridled talent? Uh, on how do you spell that? Uh, and then, two D's yeah. each other. and then as a speaker, it's the worst when, you know, you go over with your introduction with somebody beforehand. Now I always say, how do you say that? I don't, I don't volunteer. I say, how do you say the name of my company? And they look at this. There you go. go. Yep. Uh, you know, and I'm like unbridled, unbridled. And then they get up there and they go, I'd like to introduce Jennifer from Underbridged Talent. <laughs> <laughs> so I am 100%. Well, I think it's a lovely name. Um, as much as I didn't want to do, I probably would have gone with like Jennifer McClure and associates or something, which I was against because there were no associates and there still aren't. But I I get the point now because like I said, even my email address is Jennifer at Unbridled Talent. Uh, I did finally change my website to jennifermcclure.net. But um, mm. that that's why that is that way. And yeah, I get very, especially early on in the beginning, it was more, I got a lot of inquiries about like, uh, like being a, ta a talent agent, I guess, like actors Ooh. and models. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, it's Unbridled Talent because I was trying to be clever and that's that's a regretted decision. <laughs> <laughs> but that is is still just me. So I'm this, I kept, in the beginning, I called myself president because I was like, it's silly to call yourself the CEO of a one-person company. But then I was like, no, I am the CEO of me. So I changed, you know, nobody... There was nobody to ask other than myself became CEO of Unbridled Talent. And that is, um, especially pre-pandemic, it was probably 90% uh, speaking and training, you know, conferences, events, live audiences, corporate events. Um, did a little bit of coaching, maybe one or two clients a year. Uh, early on, I did some consulting, but moved away from that. Um, and now post, we're not post-pandemic, I guess, yet. We're living in an endemic, maybe. Um Certainly, there was a big change in, you know, a lot more virtual speaking over the last couple of years. I did do some more coaching, um, a lot more writing and some other things for some clients. Uh, so it's really about, again, equipping and encouraging leaders to have the most impact on the people that they lead and serve and in their organizations. And I, I do that typically through helping them to build strong professional brands, communicate with competence and lead with impact. Um, 
um, or disrupt HR, another one of those just kind of accidental things uh, was having a conversation with a friend of mine who was an advisor who's had a little HR tech startup here in Cincinnati. And he'd asked me to kind of be an advisor, meet with him a couple of years and share what was going on in the industry. Um, and in one of our lunch meetings in 2013, he kind of, you know, I listened to what was going on with him and his company. And then he said, well, what's, what's, what are you thinking about new? And I was three years into my you know, speaking and being out at conferences and events. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm at a lot of conferences and events, maybe 50, 60 a year. Um, and I see a lot of the same people on the stages, including me, and a lot of the same topics. And the first thing I like to say is there's nothing wrong with that because the majority of people go to one conference a year. So the fact that I might be speaking at 30 HR conferences doesn't mean that people are seeing me 30 times. Um, but I did feel like there was an opportunity to hear more voices and certainly to hear some ideas. You know, the typical, particularly H I speak at, you know, HR recruiting leadership conferences mostly. Uh, and in an HR conference, you get the lawyers who talk about compliance. You get, you know, somebody who's talking about uh, maybe recruiting or FMLA or, you know, they're, they're some of the typical topics, which, Again, conference organizers will tell you that the feedback from their attendees is that they want more of that. So we, mm. we can criticize that all we want, but that's what their people are looking for. And so that's what yeah. they provide. So I told Chris, I said, you know, I'm seeing a lot of the same topics, the same speakers. I know there are people out there with ideas that aren't being heard. And I said, I'm just kind of thinking that someday, maybe in Cincinnati, which is a great place that most people just fly over, um, <laughs> we could have a conference. And I know enough cool people that, you know, can invite some different um, voices to speak on stage about topics that aren't being heard on main stages or at conferences or events. Mm -hmm. um, and he loved that idea. And he's an entrepreneur, again, startup kind of guy. So he was immediately like, we should do this. And I was like, I I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I was just I was like, it's an idea. I got, I'm busy. Uh, and thankfully he went back and kind of talked with his team and said, you know, he called me maybe a couple of days later and he said, Jennifer, I'm really excited about this. We would like to do this, um, you know, and, and support it as a sponsor and certainly have you involved. And I said, well, if we're in Cincinnati, we have to have Steve Brown involved. So we got Steve Brown involved. Um, and so we started Disrupt HR here in Cincinnati, really just thinking it would be maybe a couple of times a year that we would hold an event in Cincinnati, invite some cool friends to speak about topics related to the workplace and the future of work. And um, you know, that's a, that's a story in and of itself, but the short version is a friend of mine from Denver was in town speaking at another event and I told her she had to come. She enjoyed it. And after it was over, she said, could we do this in Denver? Would you help me? And so we did. And after about a year and a half, I think we had 12, 12 or 14 cities, people in those cities that had reached out to one of us and said, you know, could we do this in our town? And we started sharing the videos online. Uh, and so about a year and a half in, we said, let's form a partnership and um, make it make it a thing in the sense that it's not been set up as a money making. It's that's why, you know, when we had to set up the paperwork for the partnership and we had to sign and Chris said, well, you're the CEO. And I said, well, I don't want to be the CEO of two, <laughs> two one and two person companies. <laughs> so I said, I'll be chief excitement officer. That was just the first thing that came to me. Um, and really, I'm the chief excitement officer because. I am pretty, I'm a volunteer, basically. We do accept a small licensing fee to license cities, but we also mm. pay for the website, the video hosting, all that stuff. Um, and so my role is really to equip the organizers and get them excited about holding, you know, the volunteer organizers and events around the world, um, holding events. So I think, you know, 
it was a split second decision, chief excitement officer, but it's appropriate. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. Mm -hmm. I want to go, I wasn't expecting to go in this direction, but I want to go this way a little bit. I'm curious, what are you doing right now that's helping you develop as a leader and what are you taking to other leaders to help them? Oh, um, as far as developing as a leader, certainly I'm, I'm curious and always looking for learning opportunities. I have several blogs and, and websites that I follow in my Google, well, it's not a Google reader anymore, it's Feedly, um, so that I'm always kind of getting served what other people are thinking or what surveys I'm, I'm big on, kind of what's the latest surveys or research information that's out there. I am on social media, not just for communicating, connecting with others, but that's certainly a, a great place if you follow the right people or the right accounts to every day get three or four articles to look at um, and continue learning. And, you know, I'm like everybody else. I'm looking at books or podcasts or, um, you know, learning courses to continue my learning journey. But I, I think what I, I'm coming to the realization, and it's how I, I really grew as a recruiter after being, you know, almost 20 years in a corporate HR role and, and had to learn something new. And then how I've grown as a business owner is really the relationships that I have, the people that I know. Um, and so I, I, just been kind of having that internal conversation with myself this week about I need to get back to being really intentional about connecting with my friends and relationships and making new relationships with people who are out there doing the work in the people space in particular. Um, because, you know, before 2020, I was out and about a lot of, at a lot of events. And so I would have a lot of those conversations in the hallways or at dinners or whatever. And it, that was very energizing to me. And I think I realized very early on during our kind of, you know, lockdown times, shutdown times in the pandemic, even as an introvert, I really missed that, not only from a connection standpoint, but also it made me smarter. And so I felt like I was atrophying a little bit over the last couple of years without being able to be out and have those conversations. So I'm thankful that here we are at the time of this recording. Um, April 2022, and, and I'm getting ready to embark on a very busy travel season, um, not just in spring and fall like normal, but this whole year so far, wow. I'm already booking things out um, in the summer and fall of this year. And so that excites me that I'll be able to have those conversations again, but I've got to make it more intentional um, to do that, not just waiting for the next event. And then I think the second part of your question was, how am I helping leaders? Was that it? Mm -hmm. Okay sharing what I learned and what I know. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what uh, people will ask me, like, how do I become a, a speaker? And I say, share what you know. Um, it's, 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 it's not, uh, for most people, at least, I think that are good speakers sitting down and saying, what's the popular topic out there today? And how can I craft a great uh, speech on that? You know, if, if people want to talk about right now, I'd say innovation is probably, you know, how do you innovate and evolve and be agile in the future of work? Um, if that's not your expertise and that's not what you know, then you're not going to be great at that, no matter how much you try to put together. But just like me, I shared in the beginning, I was sharing people with people my networking experience, my my journey from introvert to professional networker, um, how I was using LinkedIn. So I was just basically sharing what I knew. And I think that that has continued to serve me well, that as I'm learning, as I'm um uh, evolving my own thinking, sharing what that looks like, what I'm hearing about the future of work, what I think the trends are based off what I've learned, read, gleaned from others. Um, that's how I help leaders. And that's typically, 
you know, I just had a conversation yesterday about speaking at a, a conference where they, they basically want me to come and talk about what I'm hearing, um, you know, in terms of what the top trends are that, that, okay. that CHROs and business leaders are concerned about in regards to people. I'm also curious because, again, we started going down a, a, another little, little side road here related to the speaking that you do. I'm curious, what do you do to help yourself be the best speaker you can be? What do you do to help sharpen your skills? Yeah, I, th I listened to a podcast uh, a while ago where they, it was Tom Brady, who, you know, football, I know of it, you know, <laughs> I certainly know who Tom Brady is. But he was talking about, I think that was when I didn't watch it, but he had like a Facebook watch series or something about Tom against time or something like that, where it, they delved into a lot about how he, um, you know, takes care of his body so that he can continue to play well into his 40s, you know, beyond the typical career as an athlete. And and he had a quote in there and I actually, I wrote it down and I use it in some of my presentations, but I won't get it exact today, but it was to the sense of my body is my asset. Yeah. Um, you know, so I have to fuel that. I have to maintain it. I have to take care of it. So I kind of look at speaking similarly in the sense of my brain and, and, and this body is the asset. So I have to continue to feed it with what is new, what's next, what's the current thinking, what do I agree with, what, I, what do I not agree with, how do I take what I'm, I'm reading, learning, hearing, and formulate my own thoughts, opinions, methodologies about it. Um, who do I learn from? So it, it's more about, you know, again, the speaking part, um, in some sense, I'm equipped well to do that because I'm, I'm not nervous. Uh, thankfully, I've never been nervous to get up in front of whatever the size crowd is. I feel like at least the feedback that I get back is that people enjoy my stories, that I'm a good storyteller on stage. So remember back, you know, I said 10 years in, I didn't have enough good stories. I got some now. Um, <laughs> I tend to be relatable to audiences. So again, I have some like, natural gifts and talents that are, are God-given, thankfully, that I, if I'm bringing, if I'm preparing myself as a speaking athlete, um, then I have some gifts and talents that allow me to deliver and perform, if that makes sense. It does. It does. You know, as you're talking about that, the performance aspect of speaking, which there's certainly, that's certainly part of it. Uh, one of the things that fascinates me is, and if you've been on a speaking circuit, which you are, if you've been doing it for any length of time and you're around some of the same people who are doing it, it's been my experience to notice someone who's very gifted mm -hmm. in the area of speaking, but I'd like to see that person five or 10 years later and see if there's been any progress. Yeah. Now, this is kind of a rule of thumb, so it's not true all the time, but it's true most of the time. It's been my experience that when someone is a truly gifted speaker, when they're younger, typically they don't work on it and they, they just, they stay the same. And someone who maybe isn't quite as good and realizes it, puts the work in to get mm -hmm. better at the craft of speaking, far surpasses the person who is way more gifted. Sure. Because they work at it. They put the time into it. Um, I don't know if this is the kind of thing that you do. I know for me, when some of the speaking that I do, not that you could tell right now because my voice is doing very weird things, but I have vocal exercises that I do on a regular basis to help with the, the vocal folds. A lot of it, I'm not a singer, but a lot of the things I do is very similar to what singers do mm -hmm. to, to work their vocal cords. Uh, like before a speaking event, I have certain exercises I'll do to warm up my vocal cords. 
I absolutely hate to be first speaker in the morning. <laughs> well, because, you know, even through doing some of the warm-ups, you're still not all the way warmed up. And it's just, it's not great for your voice. That's noon or later, man. Put me in the afternoon. I'll, I'll be much better in the afternoon. Now, do you experience stuff like that? You know, um, it's like I played basketball, you know, through through high school and early college um, and have heard coaches say, you know, I'd take a kid who, you know, works hard over a kid with talent any day um, because sometimes, as you said, the people with talent don't continue to evolve or really apply themselves. So, um, yeah, I think I work at it. I don't do some things, you know, like you're talking about vocal exercises. I could definitely use that. I should do that. I've said for years I would should engage a vocal coach because I, if I speak for, you know, sometimes I'm doing two, four hour workshops and I'll lose my voice. Um, so I know I'm not using it appropriately, but I haven't done things like that. So I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not Tom Brady level yet in the sense that I've got a million dollar team around me where they're taking care of every aspect of this uh, vessel. But it, I think, as you said, the speakers who aren't um, looking at it as I need to continue to grow and develop, even if I have a great message, um, right. you know, with, even if you have a great message that probably needs to be tweaked and evolved too. Okay. some people are still talking about the same topics, you know, from their book from 10 years ago. Um, but you've got to continue to see what's working, what's not. And certainly a lot's changed over the last couple of years in the sense that pre 2020, you know, at, at an HR conference, it was not uncommon for me to do an hour and a half keynote. And I, you know, that's no problem for me. I can talk for an hour and a half. I think more and more you'll see a 45-minute keynote, a 35-minute keynote, uh, maybe even 2025. You know, I've gotten paid full keynote fees to do a 15-minute talk before because it's evolving. So as a speaker, if you're still stuck in that, well, I've got five key points and an opening story and a closing story, and I need to show these 75 slides in my hour and a half presentation. And then now people are saying, we want that message, but we want it in 35 minutes. You've got to really think about, okay, what are the stories? How can I shorten them, make them have impact? What do I need to take out? Um, instead of five points, what are the three that I would give? So it's, it's a, it's a constant, I think, from a professional speaker standpoint for a long time, I, you know, I've struggled with, and I still do it to something people say, you're sitting in that airplane seat, which I've got my headphones on. So you're already annoying me if you're talking to me. But <laughs> I hate that. I got my headphones on. And somebody come up, hi, how are you? And I'm like, <coughs> verbal, physical, physical cues. Uh, but, you know, that the joke is, what do you tell somebody on an airplane? says, what do you do for a living? And, and it's, it's always that question will throw me for a loop every time. Because the correct answer, you know, I'll teach you to say, even when I'm talking about personal branding is, how, what do you do in the terms of what's the problem that you solve is usually the best answer. You know, I help leaders um, build great teams. That's a great answer to the question of what do you do if you're a speaker around, you know, building, team building, et cetera. I help leaders to make an impact. And so it's not really, I haven't honed in really on, on what that answer is. So the, the answer that might come out is, well, I'm a public speaker, which I don't I never have like that. Well, then the next question is, well, what do you speak about? You know, <laughs> so I landed on professional speaker because, again, that's how I view myself. I'm a professional. Um, I don't just stand up and speak in public. Uh, this is my job. This is what I do for a living. The messages that I deliver are 
uh, impactful and add value and are worthy of the fees that I command. So still looking for that perfect answer on the airplane though. So <laughs> Chris Dunn is the one, if anybody, if anybody knows Chris Dunn, uh, his tagline on his website is I help leaders build great teams. And I think that's the magic. That is the best one I've heard. Well, I, I have heard uh, a few other answers to that question only as a way to get rid of the person. <laughs> And the answers typically revolve around um, ladies of the night, um, <laughs> something related to that. I've got, and, I've got to get a, people to shut up very quickly. Well, I've got a better one for you. And I share okay. in some of my personal branding workshops. Uh, I go to a, a mega church here in Cincinnati, probably one of the top 10 largest churches in, in the U.S. Um, and I've been going there for many, many years. <clears throat> Even it, it was still a mega church back then. But I love it. And it's great. And the leader there is wonderful. Who, and then, and they do some crazy things, you know, they're, they're really looking at how to, to toss things up to get people interested in the message, you know, and not just be kind of the traditional, um, what people think of church. And he was talking on stage at one point, and I don't remember necessarily what the topic of the sermon was, but he was sharing an example about being, you know, the getting on the airplane and somebody asked you what you do for a living. Mm -hmm. And he said, I have two answers to that question, depending on whether or not I'm interested in engaging in conversation or not. You know, sometimes I get on a plane, just want to like read my book, be, you know, to myself. Sometimes I, I'm open to a conversation. He said, if they ask me, um, you know, what I do for a living and I'm interested in conversation, he'll say, I lead an organization in the city of Cincinnati that's looking to change not only our city, but change the world. Mm. Okay. I got, I got questions, you know, if I'm sitting next to him that he said, if I don't want to talk and they say, well, what do you do for a living? He'll say, I'm the pastor of a church. I believe the Bible is the inherent word of God. There's a literal hell and people go to it. <laughs> <laughs> that's both excellent answers. <laughs> I was like, that is that is the the difference in the answer to that question. One invites you in, the other one is like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what could work against him, of course, is someone who is just as ornery. That's true. Once it's with that second one. So <laughs> yeah, but I thought. I mean, I don't know if that's what he actually says, but I thought that was really cute. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I, there is one thing that I'm, I'm curious about before we get to the relationship side of things. As I was doing my research to get ready for our interview today, one of the things that I've noticed m happening more and more, and I know you know way more about this than me, which is why I'm asking you about it, is this whole idea of, this is what I'm calling them, online HR firm. <laughs> so you take these smaller companies that entrepreneurs have started. When I say smaller, I'm talking like 20 or less people. Sure. So I mean, not very large companies at all who definitely can't afford to have an in-house HR person. And the owner definitely doesn't want to do that. Doesn't have time. That's not what the owner is best suited for. So what are your thoughts on those? And if someone say who's listening and or watching this is in that role, it's like, look, I'm, I got to get a handle on this HR thing, the organization, because it was me for a long, long time. And now all of a sudden I've got multiple employees. I don't really know what to do with this. I mean, compliance, forget about that. I don't know anything about that stuff. I barely know anything about benefits. It's right. Like I need help, but I don't know where to turn. And I've, I would assume the worst thing to do is, oh, let's just search. Mm -hmm. There's got to be a better way to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's like anything else. There are people out there that that's their expertise. And, you know, maybe they are a small farmer, even some people doing it as a sole proprietor. Um, I would think anybody who has a business, even less than 10 people, you need to have probably that outsourced HR support. You're, you're outsourcing probably a legal component of your business. You may even be outsourcing to a CPA or someone else, the financial piece. 
HR, the HR matters are no different. It, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be considered if you have employees more than, you know, one or two and probably even if one or two. And if you, and if you, you know, there are employers resource associations and in multiple communities around the world where a lot of times you pay a small membership fee based on the number of employees that you have. And they have hotlines that you can call in and speak to a legal expert. They offer trainings. You know, I've, I've always, when I was in HR, and the last organization I worked in, we had like 1,500 employees, but I have always paid to be in those employers' resource associations because of the the amount of resources and information available. There's a woman here in the city of Cincinnati where I live that, you know, longer than I've been in Cincinnati, she started as a sole proprietor doing outsourced HR, mm-hmm. built her company up to maybe a dozen employees, and then sold her company to Robert Half a few years ago and still does the same work. And so when someone calls me and says, you know, hey, we've got some HR issues, we're looking at, do we need to hire someone or should we just outsource? And I say, call Robin Throckmorton, a strategic HR. You know, she can walk you through this. That's what she does. So it's like anything else. There are people out there when you're not an expert in everything. And if you're a business owner or a small business um, or a leader in a small business, don't try to develop those skills or hope that nobody's going to pay attention. Uh, just spend the money, get it done, do it right. Well, let's jump into the realm of relationships. Not that we haven't been up to this point. We have talked about it some, but let's be more targeted in our discussions about it. What I really want to know, Jennifer, is what is it that you're doing right now? How are you building into your most significant relationships and what impact do those relationships have upon your business? Well, again, I think I've been a timely discussion just the last couple of weeks. I have been much more in in the house, not out and about due to some work uh, related you know projects and things that I was on. And as I've mentioned a couple of times already, I'm I'm an introvert and we don't mind being alone um, and crave that to some point. It's not about being shy. People don't say all introverts are shy. It's, it's more about where we get energy and I get energy from being alone. But after a couple of weeks, I was kind of like, um, I haven't really been anywhere. I hadn't really talked to another human. Uh, you know, I go to the Y and work out. I see people out my window, um, you know, but I don't have any connections. And I said, you know, I need to invite somebody to lunch <laughs> I need to, because that interaction again, it's, as I mentioned earlier, when I was traveling and speaking at conferences and events and having conversations, I'm being intellectually stimulated. I'm learning. I'm having my own thinking challenged. Like you said, if I sit next to somebody on a plane and they say, I, you know, I'm a pastor who believes in the Bible, there's a little hell. I got, I got things I can engage on that, um, you know, because that stimulates my thinking, you know, well, let's talk about that. So investing in the relationships that I have, I think, involves if we're not in the same city and a lot of my best relationships aren't you know local to me so it might mean we schedule a call or even the dreaded zoom call uh to catch up on what are you thinking about these days what's keeping you awake at night what are you excited about because that's going to also energize me and so that's really important. I mean, I've long preached the importance of relationships. Um, my business wouldn't be 12 years in business today without my relationships. The people who have and still do refer me, other speakers who maybe it's not the right fit for them or they're booked on that day and they send me, you know, referrals. Um, coaching clients are almost always people that have been referred to me from my relationships. So I would not be able to have the business that I have today if it weren't for the relationships that I've built and grown along the way. And I would not be, uh, you know, 
smart as I am today, however smart that is, if I had not met some of the people that I've met who've either caused me to change my own thinking, or again, I think a really important piece, one of my presentations I did a while ago, I haven't done it in a while, it was called Superhero Leadership, and, and I talked about the five people that you needed to have in your posse. And one of those, I don't remember what I called it, they were all P words. Because yeah. as a speaker, you got to get creative. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But it was the person that is the contrarian, basically. And for me, mine mm. is my best friend, Laurie Rudiman. Um, and if you're not familiar with Laurie, it's R-U-E-T-T-I-M-A-N-N. Look her up. Uh, she's the anti almost everything Jennifer is. <laughs> <laughs> Very different. And early on, I found her blog in 2007 or eight. At the time, it was an anonymous blog called Team Building is for Suckers. And so she wrote anonymously about, you know, her experiences as an HR leader in a big company. And her views were controversial and still are to some extent. She She's written a great book called Betting on You now. So she doesn't blog as much as um, she used to. But I loved reading Laurie's blog then and anything she writes now because there's probably a 50% or more chance, probably more than 50% in her early years, but now still probably 50% chance that I disagree with her opinion. Mm. You know, she's very pro some things that I'm not as strongly pro or don't even agree with. What I appreciated though was she's such a good writer in her opinion. She's not just throwing stuff out there to be opinionated. She believes the things that she writes about or that she talks about. And she is well-informed and she's a great writer. And so if I read her blog post or listen to her webinar or even read her book and there are things in there that I'm like, oh, that's not what I believe or um, I wouldn't say it that way. I then take a step back and go, well, but what do I believe or how would I say it? So having that person who challenges your thinking or who is contrarian to your thinking, I think is really important because most of us aren't challenged on our thinking. It's just, I believe this because that's what my mama taught me, um, or I grew up this way, or that's been my personal experience. So I've formed this, you know, strongly held belief because of my own experience. And what we're not doing is kind of saying, well, this other person has the opposite strongly held belief. And instead of fighting about it or going on a Twitter, you know, rant, why don't I listen to what they have to say? I may still believe what I believe, but if I can't articulate well why I believe what I believe, then I need to do some work on that. And I think that's what Laurie taught me early on. It was a lot of times I'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she wrote that. And they'd be like, well, but what would you write instead? You know, could you even articulate a, a strong point of view other than I don't agree? Very nice. Okay. Well, I've got, um, I've got one more question before we get to our final four. Okay. And that's this. This is something I've been asking all of my guests this year in 2022. Tell me one habit that you have that you believe every entrepreneur needs? I think you need to determine your priorities for your day, your week, your year that reflect back on goals that you've set at the beginning of the year. And that's that's a Michael Hyatt, if anybody knows Michael Hyatt, full focus planner type system. I think that's the magic is if you have seven or eight goals uh, for yourself, for your organization, um, for your team, then every day you should be working on something to move those goals forward. And it's very easy to work out of your email inbox or to allow other people to determine your priorities, but you need to set, uh, he calls it the big three, you know, he's setting three priority tasks that must be done every day that mm. ideally should be related back to those goals. That mean that you don't get more than those three things done, but 
It's and like his recommendation is you work on those three things before you work on anything else. So I don't, I'm, I struggle with that because I'm, I'm going to, uh, I struggle when people put structure or rules on me, which is not a great trait necessarily, <laughs> so, <laughs> which means I struggle when I try to put structure on myself. So the daily big three for me is always a goal. Uh, and I do try to write them down, but some days, uh, I'm like, no, not doing that just because I don't, not doing that. Um, but I think the really effective leaders set those priorities, focus on their priorities that are focused on where they can have the most impact. How can folks find and or connect with you? Find me at jennifermcclure.net. I'm on LinkedIn. I bet if you put in Jennifer McClure, I should be the first one that comes up because I was there early. Um, <laughs> and on Twitter, I'm at Jennifer McClure. So most places you can find me by putting in my name. Not the photographer, though. So jennifermcclure.com. Don't go there. Don't give her any more juice. <laughs> don't give her any more juice That's like that. someday i'd like to buy that domain from her and i want it to be really not valuable <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that uh the dot com for me john com, has been taken for years it isn't used mm -hmm. and i've tried to buy it and i can't get the person to get back in touch with me yep that's, I mean, my, make my Instagram handle is Jennifer underscore McClure. Jennifer McClure on Instagram is taken by a person who has one post. And uh -huh. it mentioned my friend, Laurie Rudiman, just funny, another story. Um, so a few years ago, I was like, I'm really going to go all in on Instagram, but I want my name name, not, you know, because everywhere else I'm Jennifer McClure for the most part. Um, and I went and I found that account and I was going to try to direct message him or whatever. And I noticed there was a comment on their only post from Laurie several years ago that said, hey, can I? this from you she was gonna try to get it for like my birthday or something then <laughs> we both have reached out to this person in there they're they're long gone <laughs> oh, wow <laughs> that's funny all right let's get into our final four again this okay is four quick questions just tell me the first thing that pops in your head are okay. you ready 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 okay here we go why did god create jennifer to teach leaders how to make an impact in this world mm like that. Succinct to the point. All right. Question two, what are you doing, reading, or listening to right now that's helping you grow? <laughs> Probably not a lot. I'm listening to a lot of things that aren't making me grow. Um, I listen to podcasts. So that's the short answer. And I love uh, Amy Porterfield's Marketing Made Easy podcast. I love Michael Hyatt's Lead to Win podcast. I love Laurie Rudiman's Punk Rock HR. So when I am cooking, driving, uh, showering, whatever, I am always listening to a podcast. And for me, that's a great way to learn and, and always be feeding my brain. What do you do for fun? Horses. Horses. All the time. Horses. That's, I guess I'm one dimensional in that regard. It's like, that's where I get my social interaction, my horse friends. That's where I get my soul fed by being around them and, and riding. And that's where I also continue to challenge myself to grow because um, there's always something to learn. Uh, every day is different. You can think that you're good at something with a horse and they'll teach you different. So I love that. <laughs> I love that it is an always challenging uh, and enjoyable opportunity to be around them. Very nice. What are you most grateful for? The gifts and talents that God has given me. Um, I have long said that my business again wouldn't be here and be as successful if it were not for my mother's prayers. Um, whenever I get you know, a call out of the blue. And I'm like, where did that come from? And I'm always like, it's my mom's prayers. Well, my mom passed away in December, 2020. And I was at her home when she passed away. And 
was kind of walking through looking for, you know, she wrote down Bible verses on mm. note cards and they were all over the house. So I mm. had noticed one of those when my brother called and said that, you know, she was on a ventilator and was going to be taken off. So I knew that it was going to be the end and getting ready to head to the hospital. And I said, I'm going to walk around and see if I find a Bible verse that she's written down on a note card because she had them all over the house. That was inspiring to me at that moment. And, you know, certainly there were some, but I actually found it was sitting on top of the desk where she did like her her bill payment and stuff, um, a devotional that she had written in October, several years earlier. So I'm not really sure why it was on the desk other than for me to find it. And there were a lot of good things and I actually used some of the stuff from that devotional and um, I did deliver the eulogy at her funeral. But one of the uh, sentences in there was that she was talking about, you know, praying for her family. Um, and she said, I believe our prayers never die. And so now, whenever something comes to me out of the way, I'm always like, my mother's prayers never die. And so I'm grateful. So I guess my answer is I'm grateful for a mom who prays for me, prayed for me. Uh, and I'm grateful for the weird and wonderful things that come my way that I think are, are in my case, I believe those are God, God delivered, God designed. Um, and so I just pray myself every day that I'm worthy of the opportunities that are brought to me through that divine gift. And for those of you that are not people of faith, I hope that answer was sufficient for you. <laughs> well, the folks who listen to this know that I happen to be a person of faith. I don't push that on everybody on the show. It's not not like I talk about it all the time, but I don't hide it away either. So sure. if there's anybody who's turned off by that, they're not listening anymore. So <laughs> Yeah, well, it's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> and a bonus question. What's the last book you read? Um, I'm one chapter from finishing The Shack. A, a, oh yes, a book that everybody but me's read, and I finally picked it up, and I'm trying to finish it because I saw that the movies on Netflix, and I want to read the book before I watch the movie. <laughs> oh, okay, that makes sense. So, not a business book. Be more well-rounded, people. Read things <laughs> other than business books. That's true. That's true. Well, Jennifer, thank you very much for your time today. Certainly appreciate that. Really enjoyed getting to dig more into you and what you're all about, and. The wonderful things you're doing, not just in the realm of HR, but more specifically in the areas of leadership. So thank you for the gift that you are and that you are using that gift to truly impact the world. Thank you. And thank you to all of you who, again, chose to spend some of your most precious resource, and that's your time, with me today. I don't take that lightly. You know that. So thanks for being here, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlett. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.